This is week nine of this series in Philippians. We're going to do one more week next week. We're going to finish out Philippians, and then we're going to spend a couple of weeks in the Psalms with the series, The Song of My Heart. We did a couple years ago a few different Psalms, and we're going to kind of do the same again this time, not the same Psalms, um, but we'll jump into that leading up to Thanksgiving. But if you're new to this series, we've been talking about these words found in Philippians, not really found in Philippians, but kind of the, the thrust of each week has been gratitude, purpose, unity, sacrifice, serve, confident, belonging, proximity. And so if you're new to this series, you're kind of coming in at the very end of it, and you can go online, shilohroad.com, um, to Facebook, to Vimeo, to YouTube. You can find all of those messages there if you want to kind of go back through and catch up, or if you want to rewatch it for like the 14th time, because I know most of y'all do that over and over and over. Um, so I want to begin, though, um, with an experience that I had um, when I was in graduate school. So the very first class that I signed up for in graduate school, working on my master's, was Hebrew. And I didn't do so well in Spanish in high school. Um, my, my teacher in, in high school, Spanish, um, got fired at the start of the six, six weeks because he hadn't taught us anything all year. We watched The Simpsons in Spanish every class period. Um, that, that was it. Um, so needless to say, Spanish 2 was not a good experience. Um, and so, so languages have never been something that I was great at, even English. I'm still not um, an English major. So Hebrew going in, I was pretty nervous about and we started the semester with a class of right around 65 or 70 students. And we made it through the first semester. And after like four weeks in Hebrew, we had a test. And the professor finishes the test and he says to this class of 65, 70 students, if you did not make at least a B on this test, you should probably drop my course. I made a 91 on my first test and I considered dropping the course. <laughs> and so, so we make it through the first semester, and, and I noticed the crowd was getting a little bit smaller. And we make it through the second semester, and the crowd is getting a little bit smaller. When we finish the third six weeks, which we spent the entire third semester translating the entire book of Jonah. So when we finished this third six weeks, there were seven people left in our class. Seven people. And I will tell you, it was the happiest I have ever been to make a C-plus in a class. <laughs> it was ridiculously hard. One, not good at languages, but, but two, just a very hard teacher. But one of the things I decided in there, because I, I told my wife I was thinking about dropping the class, and she said, there's no way you're dropping the class. You're going to finish this class. She was really comforting. Um, but one of the things I decided to do was focus on what I was learning. Because all my, my life has been about make sure your GPA is high enough so that you can play sports. For me, that was the bar, right? I mean, it's a pretty high bar, I know. Um, you know, 2.0. <laughs> make sure you're passing and you can play sports. But but through grad school, once I started paying for it on my own, all of a sudden my GPA really mattered. Like I cared about it. 
And my GPA was going to be my focus. But I, I decided during that class that I needed to change focus because it was going to be a really difficult class. And so my focus became on what I was learning. Because what was fascinating is I was actually at a point in education where I was learning stuff that I would actually use. Right? You remember, you know, learning your long division and people like, you're going to use this one day. Like, any math teachers in here? Sorry. 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 I've, I've never used long division. I use my iPhone. Um, confession time. All all the teachers are fixing to walk out. No, kids, what you learn in school is problem solving, right? That's what you're learning in school. That's what's important. You're learning how to problem solve. I don't know what I was talking about. Um, (laughs) Grad school. But But I changed my focus on what I was learning. And when I got into that third semester, it was so difficult. We were translating the book of Jonah. And so I had this brilliant idea. I'm going to teach through the book of Jonah to teenagers. And it was great. It, it was fantastic. Because all of a sudden, I stopped focusing on just what the outcome was. And I started focusing on what I was learning. Because what I was learning was helping me grow. And it was helping me be a better teacher, a better preacher. And so the learning had this focus around it, and it changed the meaning of it. And so before I give you the word this morning, I want to give you two um, premise. Is premi? Premise number one is this. What you look for, you will see. What you look for, you will see. And premise number two is this. What you focus on, you will become. What you look for, you will see. What you focus on, you will become. If you want to be cynical, there is plenty of things to be cynical about. If you want to be skeptical, there are plenty of things to be skeptical about. If you want to be angry, there are plenty of things to be angry about. If you want to be sorrowful, There are plenty of things to be sorrowful for. If you want to be grateful, there are plenty of things to be grateful for. What you look for, you will see. And what you focus on, you will become. And that's the word I want to go with today is focus. What we focus on. And I want to start Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Paul says this, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Paul is encouraging these Philippians. Just play it again, and I don't have to read next time. (laughs) I needed to take some medication today, I think. (laughs) ADD is... Paul is focusing on their mind and what they're thinking about. For, For these Christians in Philippi, 
who are so distracted by so many different things that their mind could be focused on. Paul says, okay, here's what I want you to focus on. Whatever you want. Focus on whatever you want. As long as it is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And I want to ask, what is it that you spend most of your time focusing on? What is it that you spend most of your time thinking about? Because what we began with the premise, what you look for, you will see, and what you focus on, you will become, I think is so true. And Paul wants them to understand there is a lot of good things happening in the world. There are a lot of good people in the world. And one thing Paul didn't have to worry about that you and I do is media, social media, news outlets, all these different pipelines into your mind and heart and soul that tell you all that is wrong in the world. And if you turn on the news, if you click on Facebook for even a moment, it is so easy to walk away thinking the world is going up in flames, that everything is messed up, and if this happens, this is going to happen, and you draw conclusions that sometimes are absolutely ridiculous, and your mind starts to play this game, and you end up walking around like this, you know? We look like Eeyore. How you doing? Okay. How's your day? Terrible. It's possible to fill your heart and mind and soul with so much negative and so much bad that that becomes your outlook in the way that you see the world. Is there bad in the world? Absolutely. Is it all around us? Absolutely. But the opposite is true as well. Is there good in the world? Absolutely. Is it all around us and is it evident to see? Absolutely. There's a group of guys sitting right back here from Triumph Village. And one of the things that I love about this ministry is these guys, and you just ask and ask their story. These guys have been through some difficult, difficult times. But, but we get to see people like Tommy and these other guys who have been through some horrible times. But we get to see God redeeming and restoring and bringing life where there was death and decay. What you look for, you will see. And what you focus on, you will become. For Paul and these Philippians, he wants their focus to be fixed on Jesus. 
He wants that to be the way that they filter everything they see. It wants to be the focus of their steps and how they're following him. Everything about their life focused on Jesus. And so he tells them, I, wanna, I want you to fix your mind. I want you to fix your heart. And so, because understand this, your mind is directly affected your heart and soul. It, it's connected. You, you can't watch um, Fox News and CNN all day and think my heart's going to be fresh and, and excited and optimistic. You can't sit there on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram all day long and think, I'm going to have a great outlook on things and think everything is amazing and that, that God has blessed us with another day. You cannot do it. And let me just give you a little advice real quick, okay? Um, you don't have to take it. I, I would just strongly suggest it. If you have already voted, turn all of it off. And if you have not voted and already know who you're going to vote for, turn it all off. Because all it is doing is running your heart and soul into this dry and weary place. That, that Psalm, Psalm 63, where, where he says, My soul longs for you, my, my body it thirsts for you. Like in this dry and weary land where there is no water. I think all of us have been in those places where it seems like this, this desert place, this dry land. And we're searching for God. We're, we're clinging to Him. We're thirsting for Him. And all the media, all the media, I think, pushes us deeper and deeper into those dry places. And our soul is constantly longing to be filled. Because what Jesus asked you and I to do is to go stand in the midst of a world that is broken and full of death and decay and be salt and light. To, to stand and be different, to be someone who is seen, someone who can point out all that God is doing in the world as he's redeeming and restoring all things. Because we believe that in the person of Jesus, that has already begun. And our job, I believe, as followers of Jesus, is point out to the world all of the places that that is already happening. It is already at work. It's basically, we get to be tour guides in this world. And we get to point out all of the things that God is doing. Look, God is redeeming and restoring some men. And there are some people that are pouring money and time and effort and energy into helping that happen. There are people teaching class with kids right now. And they're pouring all of their time and energy and money. And I love teachers. Let me tell you, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a teacher. I know how much energy, how much time, how much care they pour into their students. And I am so, so grateful for teachers. There, there are nurses and doctors who are doing so much extra right now to care for. There, there are so many good things happening right now in our world. And if all you see is the negative, if all you do, because remember the, a couple weeks ago we talked about what you consume will consume you. If that's all you consume is the negative, it will consume you and that's how you'll start to see the world. That will be your filter through which you see the world. Because what you look for, you will see. And what you focus on, 
you will become. Our job is to be tour guides. We, we took a trip a, a while back to the Natural Bridge Caverns down San Marcos area. And, and we got to stand in the midst of this cavern that goes about 200 feet down below the earth. And I know it's kind of hard to see on the screens, but um, that's our family. And it just goes down, down, down. And it goes at one point close to 250 feet below the opening to this cave. And you just journey down and down and down. And you get to this, this part where, where you're just walking, and you have this tour guide who's saying, Here, here's how this was formed. And here's why these stalagmites and stalactites are different. And here's the difference in the two, and I don't remember that right now. But here are these natural formations that have been here for thousands of years. And you get to this one part, and they kind of have this little amphitheater almost built into the bottom, 250-something feet below the earth. And you sit down, and he says, okay, this is the darkest place on the face of the earth. And so in just a few minutes, I'm going to count down, and you're going to, we're going to turn off the lights when I count down, sorry. You're going to count down, we're going to turn off the lights, and you're not going to be able to see anything. There's no possible way to get things any darker than they will be here. And I'm telling you, for, for the five minutes that we sat there in the dark, usually you sit in the dark long enough your eyes start to adjust. And you can see your hand in front of your face. But it was so dark, there was never a point where your eyes adjusted. And you could hold your, fa- your hand right in front of your face, and you could not see a thing. And and what's interesting is that they could have let us do that tour by ourselves. They could have let us go down there. And we would have gotten down to the, the bottom and no one would have told us what was so special about this place. And no one would have known how to turn off the lights. And no one would have been able to inform us how different this place was than from the roof of the, or the mouth of the cave where we entered in. We needed someone who knew what was happening to be able to point out what was so special right now. And I believe that's our job as followers of Jesus. Everything around you says this is utter darkness. That the world is full of death and decay that the outlook is terrible, that if so-and-so wins the election, that everything is going to fall apart, that our economy is going to collapse, that at the end of the day, our outlook is so bleak, and you and I have the opportunity to say, no, we follow a Savior who has entered into death and darkness and come out on the other side. And He is redeeming and restoring all things. And we see signs of this new life breaking forth everywhere all around us. And I know you can't see it and you don't understand what's happening. But I see people who have been raised from the dead all around And I want you to be a part of that. I want to invite you to come into this new world, in this world that is being born again in the midst of this world that is decaying and falling apart. There is beauty all around us.
But there is a story that we tell that's so core and so much a part of our story. It's this gospel story that that God creates this beautiful, good creation. And he puts his image bearers in the midst of it and says, I want you to work it and take care of it. I want you to be stewards of this creation. And I want you to lead it in a good direction. But really quickly, the direction changes. And they begin to move east, away from the presence of God. And they continue this eastward direction until we come to this place called Babel where people want to make a name for themselves, and all we find is division. And things start to get worse, but out of the midst of the badness and out of the midst of the division, God calls this man named Abram, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to be a blessing to this world. I want you to stand here in the midst of the world that's going in the wrong direction, and I want you to turn people back the way they should be going. Turn them back to the garden, back to relationship with me. Bring them back. And so Abraham goes, and he leaves everything he has behind. And this story begins to pick up steam with these guys of Jacob and Isaac. And Jacob has this son named Joseph. And it seems like the story is going to fall apart because the consequences of sin has just completely wreaked havoc on the family. And there comes this part where Joseph is reunited with his brothers in a position of power that he can do anything in the world he wants to to them. But instead of seeking revenge, instead of evening the score, Joseph says, I'm going to forgive my brothers who have hurt me. Because the story could have so easily ended right there. If Joseph says, no, these men caused me so much harm and so much pain. I'm going to end this. I'm going to put them to death. I'm going to return revenge for revenge. The story ends right there. But it doesn't. Because Joseph offers his brother forgiveness. He loves them. And he extends grace to them. And so the story, instead of repeating the cycle that they've seen time and time again of revenge, 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 now finds forgiveness. And forgiveness gives birth to a new day. A day that would not be like all of the other days before. And as this experiment with Abraham continues to move forward, There are these judges and these kings that continue to lead Israel in the wrong direction, away from the presence of God, back towards the east. But there are these prophets who stand in opposition and say, no, we need to return to God. We need to go back to Him. We need to love Him. We need to return to our first love. And in the midst of that story, God sends a Messiah, a Savior, And everyone expects this Messiah to come riding in on a white horse with a sword in his hand, taking back all the ground. The disciples are even looking for this. When are you going to sit on your throne? When are you going to restore the kingdom? When is all this going to happen? And they don't understand. 
that he's not going to do it with anger and violence, but he's going to do it with self-sacrificial love. And the story comes to this climax on a cross is the Son of God's arms outstretched looks at the people who have placed him there. Although he has done no wrong, and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And it gives birth to a new day. Because the way the story should go is he should get revenge in righteous anger because he has every right to it, should seek revenge, should call down 10,000 angels and destroy the world. But he says, Father, I forgive them. And it gives birth to a new day, to a new way of life. A way of life where the sin that was against him and placed upon him, could not hold him down because he had released it. And he had forgiven them. And now, there was a new day. A new day where death and decay no longer had the final word. A day where forgiveness had formed a new world. A world that just moments before was not possible. Because forgiveness was not a way of life. What should have ended the story actually gives birth to a new beginning. And John finishes his letter, the Revelation, with this statement from God, from the throne room, Behold, I am making all things new. Here's my question for you. Do you have eyes to see all that God is doing, redeeming, restoring, and making new in our broken world? Or is all that you see a world full of death and decay? A world that is falling apart? Or do you see this new world that you have been born into? That that is the beauty of our baptism. That we walked into these waters broken, dying, and hurting. And we came raised out of them into this new day where forgiveness was not just something we received, but it was now a part of who we were. That just as Jesus forgave them, you and I would become people of forgiveness. Giving birth to a new day all around us as God is redeeming it all. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about these things. Does it mean there is no bad in the world, so it's easy? No. It's still hard to see. But I promise you, what you look for, you will see. And 
what you focus on, you will become. So Paul says in verse 9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Here here are the things that you need to focus your life on, but also focus on watching me. What a statement. Is that something you can say in your life? If we're supposed to be these tour guides, pointing out all the redemptive work that God is doing in the world, is that something you can say to the people who surround you? Watch me. Because I am doing everything I can every single day to look like Jesus Christ. That, that's my focus. That's who I'm modeling my life after. What, what you have learned from me, and just thinking through what Paul is saying, are, are there things in your life that your kids have learned from you that you wish they could unlearn? Are there things that your spouse has received from you that you wish you could take back? Are there things that your coworkers have heard from you? The gossip around the cooler. The the language or the stories you tell that you wish they could unhear? Are there things your neighbors have seen in you that you wish they could unsee? Are there things in your life that don't measure up with the gospel story of redemption that we tell? Are there things in your life that don't equate a follower of Jesus? kills me at times because I see people will post things on Facebook and it makes me cringe and then the very next day they share something with our church or from our church. They'll say something mean and hateful in the comment section or share something and then the very next day they're saying, hey, look at our church. And part of me just cringes when I see it. Does what you profess, not not saying we're not going to mess up, not saying there's not a place because we're all sinful people, but you can also tell from someone's life if this is a constant, if the overall trajectory of your life is moving towards Jesus or not. It will be seen. And what Paul constantly says is, I want you to follow me. Just as I follow Christ, you follow me. Can you say that to a world that does not know Jesus? Can can you stand in the midst of the darkness and be a light? Because there is something different in your life, from the rest of the world. All of us, all of us have sin. 
all of us have stuff in our life that does not need to be there, that breaks down relationship with us and God, that breaks down relationship with other people, that makes the world a ugly place. Because God's good creation was given to us to be stewards of. And time and time again, we have taken God's good creation and we've stewarded it in a way that's not healthy. God has given us sex to be enjoyed between a husband and a wife in marriage. And we've taken that good gift and we've stewarded it in a direction that it does not need to go. And there are a lot of ugly things in our world because of that. There are friendships and relationships. There is money. All of those can be great, beautiful gifts given to us by God, but they can also be stewarded in a way that makes them very ugly. And the question is, which do you see? And whichever you're becoming, I promise you, it is because of what you are seeing. For these disciples, their entire world was focused on following Jesus. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is going out in a boat. We're going to go out in a boat. Jesus is sitting down with the crowds. We're going to sit down with the crowds. Jesus is walking this road. We're going to walk this road with him. Everything they were doing was focused on being like Jesus. But the weeds, the sin, have to come out. They have to come out. And we've got to do the difficult work of pulling them out. Why why is Paul so focused on their thinking as he concludes this letter? I think it's really important, okay? Thoughts. All, All of us think certain things. Think good things, you think bad things, right? But thoughts lead to actions, What we think about, we're going to start doing. And these actions create habits, right? So so we think lustfully. And then our actions lead us to start seeking out pornography. And this pornography leads to a habit where we're in this addiction. What happens, though, from there is these habits create character. Who we are. And what people see. Have you ever met someone whose character didn't match up with what they claim to be? They claim to be a follower of Jesus, but they're constantly letting their anger get out of control. They claim to be a follower of Jesus, but when you turn around, they start gossiping. They claim to be a follower of Jesus, but their language doesn't match up. The, the word character in Greek means engraved. It's something engraved deep within you. And, and just as this has these negative connotations, I promise you if your thoughts are around following Jesus and purity, it becomes easier for your actions to start measuring up. And the habits you start forming to look more and more like a world that Jesus imagined. And for that to to build this character in you that people who don't know Jesus and who know you 
would say there's something different about them. I trust them. I trust their integrity. I trust their word. Whatever they say, I believe they love me and they care for me and they have the best interest in me. Your thoughts will develop into actions and your actions will become habits and your, act, your habits will become the character of who you are. And that can happen for good or for bad. One of my favorite disciples was this guy named Peter. And we, we talk so much about Peter being so quick to speak or jumping out of the boat and sinking. But what I loved about Peter was his heart and passion to be like Jesus. I believe that's why he jumps out of the boat when no one else does. Because he saw his rabbi walking on water. And he wanted to walk on water too. And so he jumps out of the boat. Let's go Matthew 14, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And they'd been rowing all night against the wind and the waves. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. I think Peter wanted to go where his rabbi was. And he steps out of the boat. Next verse. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, and he walked on water, and he came towards Jesus. He steps out of the boat, his mind, his heart, his soul, his eyes fixed, focused on Jesus, and he's walking towards him. Right? But when he saw the wind and the waves. He was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Where did Peter's doubt come from? It came from his focus. It came from what his eyes became fixated on. As he's walking on the water towards Jesus, that's all he sees. That's all he's focused on. Then the wind and the waves become his focus. And he loses his focus on Jesus. And he begins to sink. It was his focus that shifted. Now listen. Everything in our world will tell you that this world is falling apart. And it is. God said that from the very beginning when sin entered the world. 
But even though we understand this world is falling apart, it is decaying, there is another world that has been born right in the midst of this world that is full of death and decay. And it is a world that does not end. It is a world that is springing forth new life all around you. And you get to be the people. We get to stand in the midst of the darkness and say, I understand that's what you see. I understand that's what it looks like. But there is a new world that has been born right here in the midst of this. And there are good things happening because God is redeeming and restoring all things. Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? It begins with your focus. Because what you see, you will start focusing on. And what you focus on, you will become. And he gives you this blessing, this promise as he ends. And the God of peace will be with you. And there's this little play on words that he used. Back just a few verses before in verse 7. He says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. And down to verse 9. And whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Get to know one, and you will have the other. Get to know the God of peace who stands with open arms, embracing and loving all that was lost, redeeming and restoring. And as you join in His purpose and His mission in this world, the peace of God will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Father, help us as we follow you to focus our eyes, fix our eyes on you, the creator, the giver of life. Father, help us to be good stewards of this world that you have placed in our hands. And Father, help us to be tour guides who point the way, pointing out your goodness, your work, your mercy at work in this world as we follow Jesus. Father, thank you for the life that we have in Christ. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.